This is the Fantasy Nightcap, a Fantasy Nightcap production with your host, Shane. Kick back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome in to the Fantasy Nightcap. Grab a drink, kick back, and relax. I'll be your bartender for the night, Shane. And you can find me on Twitter at FFShaneB. And with me tonight is a very, very special guest. It is last year's Polly's Playoff Champion and FantasyMarksman.com co-creator, Dave Carey. And some guy named Eric Romoff, who you all have probably heard of before. Dave, how you doing tonight? I'm doing really well. Thanks a lot for having me on, Shane and Eric. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, I... Uh... I, let, I think this is going to be part of the uh, the prize package is a, a guest spot on the nightcap if you win Polly's playoff. So I appreciate you coming on. Absolutely. Thank you. Eric, how you doing tonight, buddy? I'm doing all right. I guess um, I guess when I was here last and I was behind the bar, I was pouring the drinks a bit too stiff. So Shane <laughs> kicked me out, but he said I can still drink here. So I'll yes. chalk that up as a win. Yes, absolutely. I think that's a fair assessment. And where can people find you, uh, Eric? Uh, easiest place is on Twitter at FantasyNav. Uh, that's where you can kind of find everything that I've got my hands in, all rolled in the one, um, largely contributing for DrRoto.com, for GoingFor2.com. Also got my own outfit over on YouTube, Green Screens Media, or at Get Green Screens. Um, so yeah, kind of all over the place, but Right there at Fantasy Nav is where it all kind of rolls up. Awesome. All right, gentlemen. Tonight, I have the two of you on because, well, Dave, you won Polly's Playoff, and in your profile picture on Twitter, which your handle is at 87 underscore carry, if I remember correctly, you're wearing a Colts hat. So I was like, hey, he's a Colts fan. He won Polly's Polly's Playoff. He needs to come on the show. Um, So I asked you, and you, you cordially accepted. And then Eric was dumb enough to put on my show sheet because he is one of the regular contributors to it. Uh, hey, if you need someone for the Texans, I'll do it. And he was the only poor bastard that would actually sign up for the Texans. So I dragged him along too. So we're doing an AFC South preview tonight, um, as well as a little bit of Polly's playoff preview and, and review with our uh, former champ. So you guys ready for that? Sure am. Let's go. Cool. All right. So the first question that is always asked on the the nightcap, which will actually be changing soon, um, is what are you drinking? And I'll start off first because I'm drinking just water. Um, I've been a little under the weather, needed still. um, So need some water to help rehydrate me and get me back up to snuff. Uh, Dave, what you drinking? I got this uh, creamsicle brew from Medicine Hat Brewing Company. And it is perfect for summertime weather. This is going down easy. Awesome. Eric, what about you? I am sticking with the summertime kick, and I am working on a 7-7. Seven and seven. What is a 7-7? Seven and seven? It is 7-Up and Seagram 7 Whiskey. It's like a Canadian ah, whiskey okay. and Sprite, basically. Gotcha. Okay, that makes more sense. Last time you uh, were on, you were drinking ranch water, so... Yeah, those uh, those ranch waters kind of catch up you catch up with you yeah. on the beach. So, yeah, yeah. Um, trying to trying to keep it a little bit more mellow as I get roasted <laughs> out in the sun. Absolutely. All right, that's enough about what we're drinking. Let's jump into some football talk. So, for Dave and anyone else that's new, I like to do these a little differently and basically have myself and the guests give one player that we're going to buy one player that we're going to sell one player we're going to hold and one player that we think could be a sleeper for the division. And then we talk a little bit at the end about the actual division and who can win it and whatnot. Um, Typically this is done from a dynasty perspective, but at this point in the season, we're transitioning from dynasty to redraft with the different charity tournaments and it's just redraft draft season. So we'll probably do a little bit of a hybrid kind of, ECR ADP ranking um, that we would pull from. So our first question is what player at their current ADP or ECR in the AFC South are you buying? Dave, 
lead us off. All right, I'm going to suggest Christian Kirk to everybody here. I think that he got paid to go from Arizona to Jacksonville, step into what should be the lead role as a pass catcher for a quarterback who's young enough and looking to find a connection with a wide receiver for a number of years ahead. If this pairing doesn't work out between Trevor Lawrence and Christian Kirk, who's available from a dynasty perspective, somewhere around the wide receiver 48 range, uh, I think that it's a big fail on the part of Jacksonville, given what they've done contract-wise. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I... Kirk is, I think, the best weapon in that offense outside of ETN, um, who I also saw. It's funny, you put him on the show sheet and then didn't do him, and I he was actually who I had put on first, but then I transitioned to my player. Um, so I think we, we both like ETN as a weapon in this offense, but I think Kirk is probably the second best option. Um, what do you see his upside being if him and Lawrence hit it off? Well, I guess you got to think that he rises to a wide receiver two level uh, by comparison to where you can draft him currently somewhere in the wide receiver four range um, even the late wide receiver three range I don't blame anybody for taking him there Um, I don't think that he's going to become a wide receiver one I think there's a lot of steps for Trevor Lawrence himself to go through in order to produce a wide receiver one as well as the the Jacksonville offense. I mean, this is a yeah a, new, a coach with a sorry a team with a new coach that really needs to establish what they're going to do from a play calling perspective. So I'm going to wait and see patiently. I think he can hit a wide receiver two level this year, uh, but I wouldn't call him a wide receiver one. No, I I completely agree with that, Eric. Do you anything to add on that? He might be frozen. He looks like he's frozen. Um, so we'll edit this out, and I'll just answer mine. Um, so, yeah, we've talked a little bit about Trevor Lawrence, Dave, and that is actually who I put as my buy. Um, looking at Fantasy Pro's ADP currently, he's going as QB 18, which I think was in, like, the 140 range overall. Yeah. And – uh the the biggest thing for me is like I have watched this kid since he was a freshman play football and know that the talent is there. It was clearly mismanaged by Urban Meyer last year and the Jacksonville organization in general. But I mean, it's hard to play quarterback and succeed when your head coach is the best kicking coach in the league. So it's I, I just like I think Lawrence has nowhere to go but up because Peterson and the rest of that coaching staff should just be an upgrade from from Meyer. I agree. And we actually have a question from Twitter later on that we'll we'll talk more about Lawrence. So, uh, Eric, before we move on to yours, did you have anything more to add about uh, Christian Kirk and where you think his ceiling might be? Yeah, I think Christian Kirk is probably one of the better values on the board at the wide receiver position. Um, I mean, even his floor, I think, is kind of in that low to mid-30s range, um, just given how much of a focal point I think he'll be in this new-look Jaguars offense. Um, and his, his upside is is right there where, where Dave put it. I mean, I've, I've got him as high as wide receiver 21, 22, if everything really lines up for him. So to yeah. get him, you know, nearly as wide receiver 50 off the board. He just presents a lot of value and he, he feels like he should be a pretty safe piece relative to what it's going to cost to acquire him. Yeah, absolutely. Love that. All right. And who is your person that you're buying Mr. Romolf? Yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going way down as well. I'm looking at Matt Ryan currently coming off the board as QB 21, uh, the newly minted quarterback for Dave's Indianapolis Colts. Um, if you look at what Carson Wentz was able to do as a part of this offense last year, uh, he finished well ahead of QB 21. He was sitting right around QB 14 or 15, depending on your scoring system, and was generally pretty effective in this offense overall. He had almost 3,600 yards. Uh, he had 27 touchdowns, seven interceptions. It's just that most of his interceptions were flagrant and hilarious. So, 
people really want to dunk on what he did in this offense. And in almost every measurable category, Matt Ryan is going to come in and be as effective, if not incrementally more effective than Carson Wentz was last year. So I, I think it's somewhat laughable that he's going that far uh, down the boards. I mean, he's going undrafted in some in some redraft format. So um, really like the, the value that he offers up going all the way down there as QB 21. Eric, yeah, that's great. And I actually saw Matt Ryan's ADP on Fantasy Pros as well, and I was like, man, I might be buying Matt Ryan because I've, I've, for his career, thought Matt Ryan was overrated. Um, Part of that is a Notre Dame bias uh, because I saw him barely beat a Notre Dame team his senior year at Boston College. And that Notre Dame team was god-awful, like truly horrendous, and they barely beat them. And it was like, Boston College, Matt Ryan's the best thing ever. And I'm like, bro, Notre Dame sucks. This is not the same Notre Dame team that people should be like praising him for beating. Um, so I've just had a lower opinion on him for then and haven't been able to let go of that. Um, so I do apologize, Dave, that I'm, I'm shitting on your quarterback and was shitting on your previous quarterback. But – I agree with what uh, Eric said, and I think the improved offensive line going from the Falcons to the Colts will help Ryan a lot. Also, actually having a, a run game is going to help him a lot with, with JT. What are your thoughts as a Colts fan? Like, Are you excited to have Matt Ryan for this year? Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what he does with the ball in the key situations by comparison to what we talked about Carson Wentz uh, laughably doing with the football at a couple of key points in the season and in games last year. Uh, Matt Ryan has to be considered an upgrade in a lot of areas, but maybe the best area that you could look at with Matt Ryan uh, would be those those big-time decisions. Uh, he's going to have a little bit more success incrementally in a lot of ways, like Eric was talking about. But I think that where we're going to see this pay off is that Matt Ryan's going to make the right play happen at the right time, especially when it comes down to the red zone offense for the Colts. Struggled a little bit to start the year out last year in the red zone. I think we get off to a much better start this year in the red zone, and I think he's a big reason why. Awesome. I love it. Do you think he unlocks another level of Michael Pittman? Yes and no. I think that Michael Pittman is going to do a lot of that legwork himself. I think that the uh, career arc that he's on, uh, if you want to relate his skill level uh, and his draft capital very closely to T. Higgins, and these guys were drafted back-to-back spots, and we've seen their values be close together uh, from a dynasty perspective, as well as right now shift actually quite far apart since T. Higgins has been phenomenal. Uh, it wouldn't be inconceivable to think that Michael Pittman rises to a similar point at somewhere throughout uh, the 2022 season. Uh, it's a lofty expectation, but it uh, wouldn't be unreasonable. Yeah. Um, I'm actually glad you brought that up because we're going to transition to our sells. And unfortunately for you, Dave, I'm telling you to sell Michael Pittman. But it's because he's currently going at an ADP of wide receiver 13. I think that is very, very close to his ceiling, which I think is what you were just talking about. I think from a talent perspective, you just nailed it. I don't need to say anything more about his talent because you just you hit it on the head. I think him and T. Higgins are on a very similar or should be on a very similar career arc because the talent levels, I think, are similar. Different players maybe a little bit, but talent is, is there. I think what we will see is Matt Ryan and, and Michael Pittman, as he's obviously another year older, grow to a level that I think tops out, though, at around wide receiver 10 to 13. And so if he's currently being drafted or valued at, a, at wide receiver 13, I think it's time to sell um, just off a value standpoint. Um, because if you can capitalize on that for someone who is probably a little bit lower um, from a value standpoint, maybe like a Darnell Mooney, who, someone I'm super high on, um, <clears throat> or I'm trying to think of someone else in that range, I don't want to say Gabriel Davis because that just feels way too 
I don't even believe in Gabriel Davis that much. Um, but you get the point. Someone who's maybe in a tier lower that you could also grab back some draft capital from a dynasty perspective or even like another starter um, if you're able to sell Pittman at a value of wide receiver 13. That's the only reason I'm selling him is truly from like a value standpoint. Talent level, everything else, I, I believe in him. I don't think he's going to bust. Um I really just want to capitalize on the value of where he's being valued at currently. A good point. So um, that was a lot of talking for me. So I'm going to pass it over to you guys. And Eric, I am shocked by your answer. So please tell us who you are selling at their current ADP or ECR and why. Yeah, so maybe I just struggle with following rules and directions um, the answer that I gave was Brandon Cooks. He's currently sitting as wide receiver 25. Um, the part of the directions that I maybe just looked uh, away from was the word current. Um, for me, wide receiver 25 feels just about right for Brandon Cooks. Um, you know, generally speaking, I want a little bit more upside out of uh, my my wide receiver two, especially if I'm taking them in that in that range, kind of around the end of the second round. Um, but I think with the John Mechie news um, coming out of Houston a few days ago, unfortunately, he was diagnosed with leukemia. It seems like his uh, uh, time on the field is certainly in question for this year, potentially for years to come. I would expect Brandon Cook's ADP to take a bit of a tick up. So if we're talking about Brandon Cook's coming off the board, a very steady kind of volume-based receiver, but maybe closer to wide receiver 2021, 20, that's a bit too rich for me. So... I kind of just blew past the word current and I'm anticipating as we refresh ADPs in the next two weeks, we'll see his walk up and that'll be at the point where it's just a little bit too much. Okay. That makes sense. Um, I, I did not realize he was going as wide receiver 25 at that price. Even it may be a, a smidge high, but I think if there's someone who is rated there, valued there, however you want to look at it, and even with an uptick in ADP to 2021 that could smash it, I think Brandon Cooks is that guy. He's criminally, criminally underrated, and I think he could crush it. Dave, what do you think about Cooks? I really like drafting Brandon Cooks at what seems to be a yearly value. You can get him in some of your mid-rounds of your redraft leagues. Um, He gets overlooked in a lot of home leagues. He's bounced around from team to team, so you, you lose a little bit of that continuity with the quarterback or with the offense. A lot of good reasons to draft him historically. Hey, Fantasy Nightcap listeners, this is FF Shane B here, giving you guys a quick ad for Newsly. Newsly is an audio app for iOS and Android. It picks up web articles about the most trending topics on the web at any given moment and reads them to you in a natural human voice. For the first time in the history of the internet, the entire web becomes listenable, all in one place. You can browse articles from topics you choose and start playing. Stop scrolling, start listening. You can follow any topic as specific as you like from sports, like us, science, to Bitcoin, or even the Kardashians. It will find you the latest articles and read them to you aloud. And they have podcasts as well, which is where we come into play. So explore trending podcasts from over 50 countries, Our podcast, Fantasy Nightcap, is there too. I started using it as my default podcast app, and you should too. Download and use Newsly for free now from www.newsly.me or from the link in the description and use promo code FNCPODCAST, that's with a zero, not an O, and receive a one-month free premium subscription. Have a great day and join Newsly. Yeah. No, I I completely agree, and I I love it. I think I had him in Scott Fishbowl last year, but I can't remember for sure. So, all right, transitioning from that to Polly's playoff a little bit. So, like we mentioned in the intro, nope, I totally forgot. Dave, who is your player that you're selling? Sorry. (laughs) Hey, that's okay. Uh, Mine's a little bit of an obvious one, given the age and the position that he plays, but Derrick Henry, he's... Somewhere around the RB12 range in a dynasty format. I think that even if Derrick Henry produces a top five season as a running back this year, which is you know a lot of his range of outcomes, that his value stays put or drops significantly. 
at the age he's currently at. Uh, you look at the the cliff or that age cliff that the, the player falls off of, and he just adds to that with a complication of uh, an injury from last year. Uh, talent's been there his whole career from the Heisman uh, that he won in college to the point that uh, we've seen from him on a per-game basis with Tennessee. But I think if you can cut ties with Derrick Henry uh, this year or going into this year, He's a great player to be trading away to a contender, especially if you get draft capital coming back your way. I don't think that the uh, remaining dynasty value in his career outlasts uh, the draft capital that you're currently able to get for him for more than one season. Yeah, I completely agree with this. And even from a redraft standpoint, he's going as RB4 in ADP. Let's play a little name game here, uh, Dave. I'm basically just going to give you Derrick Henry versus the running back. The running backs going above him and below him, uh, and we'll just do like five. So Christian McCaffrey or Derrick Henry? McCaffrey. Okay. Eckler or Henry? Eckler. Okay. Henry or Najee? Najee. I'm right there with you. Uh, Henry or Dalvin Cook? Ooh, that's a tough one. This one intersects for me. I'm still going to stick with Dalvin Cook, so I like the pass-catching upside. Okay. And then last one, Henry or Joe Mixon? Derrick Henry. Okay. So that's where your line is, which would put him, at least according to this, about RB8 instead of the RB4 that he's being valued at. So, And I I tend to agree with what your, what your answers were there, too. So, All right, you guys ready to talk a little Pauly's playoff before we head into round two? Sure am. Sweet. So this one is um, kind of a a, a heart uh, a tearjerker, if you will. Dave, I'm going to open it up to you, if you will. Uh, why do you play in Polly's playoff? Well, I heard about Polly's playoffs last year through Twitter. Uh, Alzheimer's and dementia has affected. Uh, the paternal side of my family, my grandfather, Michael Carey, passed away a number of years ago. And uh, our family got to see the progression um, that he went through um, from, you know, a typical healthy grandfather to, uh, to when he had passed. And uh, so, you know, supporting a cause like this, uh, you can take my money. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. I'm, I'm sorry for your loss. And it's honestly why I... I started it so that the reason I play for Polly's playoff, obviously I, I created it, but my wife, Andrea, her grandmother, Polly passed away about three years ago from Alzheimer's. Um, and it was really probably a disease that affected her for f- three to five years before that pretty significantly. Um, and that was the time of, life where we were dating and and engaged and so I was over at their house and Polly was actually living with my now in-laws at the time and so I unfortunately got to see not only her decline but how her decline uh, because the disease affected the ones that I cared about and and loved so much and my wife and uh, her parents and, and brothers and sisters so it is just really tough to to see, especially as for me as kind of an, an outsider, if you will, the the t- deteriorate deterioration. I that's a hard word to say, um, of someone that you love, or someone that you you love that they love, and just watching that from a kind of an outside perspective and not really being able to do anything. So, and then the other aspect of it was to spread awareness for the horrible, horrible disease that Alzheimer's is and how much it does affect people um, because it's it's one of the top uh, killers in the United States and it's the only one or was the only one that didn't have a drug to slow or cure it. Now, in the last year or so, um, there have been significant, has been significant progress made towards that. So um, that's why I play. Eric, why do you play for Polly's Playoff? And it's uh, it's hard to really cover anything that uh, the two of you haven't already. Um, you know, first and foremost, uh, in my first season, getting pros with Joe's off the ground was also the first season that you were getting Paulie's playoffs off the ground. So as we were getting to know each other through that tournament, um, I really got to hear your story, got to hear Paulie's story, and how not only was you know Paulie going through 
um, you know, this decline as as uh, she was going through and battling Alzheimer's, how much it really reached out and and impacted the entire family. Right? It's not it's not a disease that that touches one person; it touches many. Um, the the second side of that is the way that we raise money uh, over at Pros with Joe's is that all of our participating pros get to select which cause they're they're raising money for and i was absolutely floored by how many people had alzheimer's touch their lives right we had so many of our pros raising money for the alzheimer's foundation or other um, uh, organizations that were supporting the cause or supporting families that were going through um you know uh, going either uh, suffering from this disease or you know supporting someone who was so it really opened my eyes to just how far reaching and how impactful a disease it really is. Yeah. Thanks both of you guys for sharing that. Um, I'm literally getting goosebumps <laughs> right now, just thinking about it. So I appreciate both of you for sharing that. Um, all right, let's take this a little more lighthearted on the Polly's playoff side of it. Uh, Dave, you obviously won Polly's playoff last year. I actually made the playoffs um, and, the significance of that will make sense in a little bit, but Dave, what was your strategy going into the draft last year? Well, last year was my first year playing in the tournament. So I had to do a little bit of the learning on the fly and in, in terms of preparation, but uh, it's a, it's a super flex tournament where you can have uh, two QBs. So I prioritized QB early and then I wanted to take a, a value uh, stack in terms of a little bit of upside at a point in the draft that I thought could be league winning. Uh, again, because it's a multi-division tournament, I think it's better that you you choose to do something that will differentiate your lineup from others. So but the two players I was on last year uh, were Trey Lance and Debo Samuel. Um, I, I don't need to say much about the success I had with Debo Samuel and a yeah, no lot kidding. of my lineups last year. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are are probably agreeing with that where they had him. Uh, and then aside from that, uh, I, I died a lot of dynasty fever last year and was trying to draft Jamar chase just everywhere that I possibly could as it carried over into redraft format. So I, I was, I was very fortunate in both those cases that Debo Samuel and Jamar chase just uh, hit home runs every time they touched the ball. Trey Lance yeah. actually did not really become much of a factor in my lineup until the end of the season, but uh, that was my my strategy. Nice, I like that a lot. Um, is it changing? Obviously, with the player names, will probably change with like Debo and and Chase. But is the strategy of kind of getting that late value stack and then having a specific rookie or specific player that you're trying to get in every draft? Is that changing at all for this year? I think it's it's still a good strategy to differentiate yourself from a lot of other lineups or kind of you know plant your flag somewhere uh this year uh, an example which wouldn't rely on a rookie would actually rely on a couple sophomore players uh might be an option uh for the new york jets where you could draft zach wilson and elijah moore two players that already showed us the the capabilities and chemistry that they had started to develop last year um you can get them at very reasonable uh points in the draft i i would say that that's a recommendation that i have for listeners yeah, and I'll I'll throw a rookie in there. I think Garrett Wilson is probably the best rookie wide receiver in this class when it's all said and done. I'd be fine taking him if you can't if for some reason you can't get Elijah Moore, Garrett Wilson seems like a, a healthy um consolidation prize. So um consolation prize. That's the word <laughs> I was looking for. What I didn't want to correct you. <laughs> you should have. Um I can take it. Uh, Eric, it is actually, is it your first or your second year in, in Polly's? I think I'm assuming it's your first because obviously year one, you were doing pros that Joe's last year. I don't know what the hell you were doing. So what's your strategy going into what I believe is year one? Yeah, this is uh this is year one for me playing in Polly's. Uh, I was trying to exercise boundaries last year, so I donated, but did not play. Um, so heading into year one, I mean, I, I really have to, um, you know, I, I have to learn at the knee of, of our returning champ, Dave here, right? It looks like, um, you know, finding a way to get these optimal lineups by way of stacking is, is a really solid strategy. Um, you know, just historically, rookies tend to offer some pretty solid upside. Um, they also 
bring a bit of risk, but you know, there, there's some of the rare points where you can consistently get mid to late round upside on your roster, you know, listening to your, your Zach Wilson, uh, Garrett Wilson or Elijah Moore conversation. I think the stack that comes to mind for me, because I'm a bit more bullish on Garrett Wilson's running mate at Ohio state is like a Jameis Wilson, Jameis Winston, Chris Olave stack out of New Orleans. Like That's one that actually. has a ton of upside and you can get, super late in drafts so definitely heading in with the intent to stack early and stack often and i i like that one out of new orleans in particular nice i actually got olave and uh scott fishbowl and i was very happy with it yeah i'm i'm so excited for what he can do i, I think he's one of the the most solid overall wide receivers in this year's class he doesn't exactly um you know get head and shoulders above any of the other prospects in any single area of, of measurement or of, uh, of, of grading, but he's, he's just so steady at everything that I think he, he should have a role pretty quickly. Yeah, I think so too. Great suggestion, Eric. Yeah. So, all right, y'all are going to laugh. My strategy last year was to literally just survive my second round pick. So at the time, my co-host of the nightcap was Fox and our good buddy, Nick Sarnelli, I put out a tweet uh, saying, if you guys will donate X amount of dollars, I think I put $50 as the price, um, then you can make my second round pick. So Nick and Fox actually combined their money um, for a total of $50 and made the donation. And Fox made a graphic for it and everything. And my second round pick, second overall, I think it was the two, it was the two hundred one or two hundred two, because I think I was in the eleven or twelve slot, was Tim Tebow. And how'd you survive so, that? Yeah, my strategy was literally just survive Tim Tebow being my second overall pick, um, and because it was my tournament, like I tried to be really active on the waiver wires. Uh, throughout the season and I did end up making the playoffs and I can't remember if I made it past round one or not but I made the playoffs that was my goal after being forced to take Tebow and that was kind of my strategy for uh, for the draft Um, to go a a little bit different route than the two of you something that I actually did last year and will probably do this year um, is look for receivers who excel as deep threats and that's kind of where I did end up. I think I did take Chase as well. Um, but I was looking for guys like uh, Chase, even Brandon Cooks. Um, trying to think who else would fall in that category or who I had taken. But essentially the deeper threat guys, because with it being tiered PPR by distance, if they're able to connect on a 40-yard pass, they're going to get a lot more value out of that than someone like uh T Higgins even who is getting those media intermediate routes to shorter routes um, versus someone like Chase who could take the top off the defense and really blow that up. Tyreek Hill is another one that I would, that would fit in that category too. So that was kind of part of my strategy as well. Good idea. I like it. All yeah. Right. I think the thing that, that really persists from you managing to make the playoffs, even with, Tim Tebow as your second uh, second overall pick. I mean, so many times our connections go bad. Uh, the the clock runs out a little bit faster than we think it than it will. We end up auto picked, and we feel like our season is just completely buried. And if Shane can yeah. still make the playoffs with Tebow as his second round draft pick, there's hope for all of us. So take that as, <laughs> yeah. as the point to carry forward with. Look, that was apparently the theme of my season last year because in one of my home leagues, I uh, I think I started one and six, and finished seven and seven and made the playoffs. Ooh, um, nice. Eric, you should ask Jay Felicio about that if he'll ever text you back. <laughs> yeah, I might I might have to chase him down, but I um I I timed out in Scott Fishbowl this year and I ended up with the Jamar Chase T Higgins stack without Joe Burrow on my roster. So um, going to be an interesting one to navigate, but uh, Goonies never say die, right? (laughs) That'll be fun. 
All right, let's transition on to the second round. Which player are you guys holding at their current ADP or ECR, and at what point do they become a buy or a sell for you? Eric, let's throw it to you. Yeah, so for for me, the the guy that I'm I'm holding is sticking with the Jacksonville theme. I'm looking at Marvin Jones Jr. Uh, he's sitting right now, essentially going undrafted, wide receiver 74, 75 off the board. Um, and while I tend to agree that Christian Kirk is going to be the primary target in this offense, I, I don't think Marvin Jones is just going to fall off the face of the earth, right? Um, he very much so established a rapport with Trevor Lawrence in his first year. He finished his wide receiver 35 last season. So, I mean, even if we see uh, a good percentage of his workload go Christian Kirk's way, um, you know, he still has a pretty solid potential to, to return value at his kind of undrafted ADP. And I, I tend to think that in terms of how they line up and run routes, I think that Kirk is going to step more into the DJ Shark role in this offense than um, than, than Marvin Jones's role. So I, I don't think there's a whole lot of change on the horizon for him, but his ADP has absolutely plummeted. So love love getting him there. The reason why I put him as a hold instead of maybe one of the other categories that we're talking through tonight is just I I don't think there's a whole lot of a market for him, right? So you're not going to get much more than you know where he's being yeah. drafted at. But I do think you're going to get a pretty solid return if you do acquire him at that price. Yeah, that's a good point. Dave, who is your hold? So I touched on this a little bit earlier with Michael Pittman. He's the player that I'm suggesting to hold. Uh, I'm going to mention that career arc that he's on and how similar it could be to where T. Higgins is currently. Maybe Michael Pittman is a year behind him in terms of realizing some of that success as well as some of that dynasty value. But I think that if you have Michael Pittman right now, it's a prudent play to wait on him until maybe mid-season, especially after a point where he's had uh, you know, maybe a couple of good games in a row or had a couple of games with multiple touchdowns by that point. Uh, those are within the range of outcomes and are probably going to give you options where you can sell him for something in the neighborhood of uh, two first round picks uh, or a pick and a player. And uh, you do what you will with that. But I think that you could see his value a little bit closer to T Higgins. Uh, I don't think that he eclipses T Higgins in terms of value, but I think he gets a little bit closer as the year goes on. Cool. Yeah, I like that, and I do think it's a possible outcome for sure. All right, my mine feels like a cop-out answer, but with the answer I gave with Michael Pittman, I just want you guys to think in that kind of frame of mind of like this person's probably at peak value because um, they literally can't go any higher than RB1, and that's Jonathan Taylor. However, sometimes – like I feel like sometimes we as a fantasy football collective forget – sometimes that the point is to win the game you're trying to win the game you're trying to win money how do you do that you have the best players on your team Jonathan Taylor is the best running back in the league I don't feel like that's really up for debate I don't know anyone that would debate that um and so my reason for holding him is yes he's RB1 right now uh Dave correct me if I'm wrong I believe he's only 23 maybe 24. Yep, you got it. And with that, he's got at least four years until he hits the RB cliff. You don't want to sell him yet because his value, like, let's say he is the RB1 and he has an even better year. Like, he's going to continue to get better. So then, in theory, even though positionally he's staying at the RB1, his value should continue to rise. And at that point, as he gets older and his value has risen, that may be the point that I would want to sell him. But right now, he's too young and he's too good. You've got to keep him on your roster because it's going to help you win championships. And that's the goal. I agree. We're going to go in numerical order for this next question. So, Dave, who is your sleeper for the division and why? I like I, – just for preface – I like your answer. I wasn't expecting it, but I like your answer. Yeah, I, even after I, I put this one into the sheet, I thought maybe Robert Woods isn't a sleeper 
maybe Robert Woods is, you know, blinking like a neon sign at nighttime when it comes to your draft position. Looking at him somewhere around the wide receiver 43 range. Um, Don't quote me on this, but I believe that I'm looking at that in terms of a dynasty perspective. Um, Might be... He's going as wide receiver forty on fantasy pros ADP, and it's just PPR scoring. So I, I think, don't think there's any dynasty factored into that. So okay, that's probably about right. Yeah, that does sound like where I've I've taken this from. Um, I think that he has a very good chance to actually outperform um, someone like Traylon Burks in the first half of 2022. Um, obviously, Robert Woods is coming back from an injury of his own, so I don't want to say that he's going to get onto the football field and instantly produce wide receiver two numbers every week. However, if Robert Woods is a player that I can put into my flex spot, but that I get to draft uh, at a uh, range closer to my bench, then I think that he's he's got great upside. So that's who I'm suggesting. No, and I, I love it because... Even when he was with the the Rams, it felt like Woods was underrated um, and was going to continue to produce. The only question mark I think that's left for Woods right now is his health. And you, even at wide receiver forty three, I feel like that's baked into that cost. And you can take a shot on him at wide receiver forty three, and if he's healthy and comes back and is the same player we're used to, then you blow that value up easily i think um but then if he's not and it takes a little while you haven't invested too too much capital on it so i absolutely love this call partially just because i love bobby trees so uh eric you are next with your player being 57 uh at what position and who is your player Oh man, I just want to gush over Robert Woods a little bit more because he was the player that I was <laughs> I was thinking about uh, as as my hold. Um, for for me, I think that this is kind of one of those instances where we can talk about when you're drafting. Right now, uh, you know, as we as we get into the end of July, a lot of people still have rookie fever. So Robert Woods is oftentimes getting pushed down to around, if not uh, lower than Traylon Burks. I think that's going to flip as we get a little bit closer into redraft season. So if you're drafting now, go get Robert Woods. You will be happy. Shout out Dave because he is dialed in on this. My player is a running back coming in as the running back 57 off the board. It is for my hometown Houston Texans. It is Marlon Mack. Um, I know that they went out and drafted Pierce in the fourth round. Obviously, everyone loves the upside that a rookie can offer. I myself was just talking about the upside that rookies generally offer. But if you look at Marlon Mack, in terms of years that he was on the field, we're not all that far removed from 2018 and 2019, where he had back-to-back seasons of over 1,000 scrimmage yards. He had 10 total touchdowns in one of those years. He had eight in another. And the thing that I like most about it is that his offensive coordinator for those years is the current Texans offensive coordinator, Pep Hamilton. I think that they brought him in very specifically when they brought Pep Hamilton in to be the OC. And while Damian Pierce is getting accustomed to the speed of the NFL game while he's learning the playbook, I think Marlon Mack, assuming he is healthy, can really make a positive impression on this coaching staff and really grab this job by the neck. I love it. Um, I also am worried, not necessarily about – I have my questions about whether Pierce can be a full-time NFL running back. And so I guess to your point, Eric, I think even, I I think Marlon Mack could be the starting running back for the Texans for all the games that he plays in. Um, So if he's healthy and plays all 17, it would not shock me if he was the starter for all of them. Um, Because I just, I don't know how good Pierce actually is. Yeah, and, and point so, being, right, like it's it's gonna it's gonna take time for that question to be answered. And that is all time that Mac can presumably have the lion's share of the workload. And the the downside here, I mean it's it's minimal. He'll probably be one of your last two players that you draft coming up in your in your upcoming drafts. And even if we see him get off to a hot start and slowly have 
Pierce chip away, you have a midseason trade asset that you can then go improve somewhere else in your roster. So I like I like these last two round kind of plays, and specifically, I love it when players get to reunite with offensive coordinators and systems they've had success in before. Yeah, absolutely. Dave, what are your thoughts on Marlon Mack and just the Texans' backfield in general? Well, I really like the point that Eric made with Pep Hamilton and Marlon Mack uh, having yeah, worked I together didn't know before. That. I'm, uh, I'm excited about that. <laughs> yeah, super smart point. Marlon Mack had good seasons in Indianapolis. I think that he gets glossed over um, due to injury. Um, and when the Colts made the decision to draft Jonathan Taylor, it signified a, a big change in the in the run game outlook for them but Marlon Mack stayed on with the team he was at every meeting even while injured and having no chance of playing um, at that time Uh, he's a great team guy so this one I really like as a suggestion and I think that Eric's already uh, sharply pointed out that you want Marlon Mack in the beginning of 2022 because what could happen in the second half uh, who knows but uh, to start the year, you've got a lot of safety in Marlon Mack uh, in that RB57 range. He's a guy that I almost want to compare to the upside you get early on in the season from a guy like Mark Ingram if we see Alvin Kamara see a suspension. It's a good point, too. It's a very good point. So, yeah, I, um, I love that a lot. So my player is from your Colts. Mr. Carey. Yeah, I see that. That's a good choice. It is Alec Pierce, the wide receiver out of Cincinnati, who they drafted in the second round, I believe. Is that right? Yeah. So um, he's going as wide receiver 66. And here's my, my thoughts on this. For the Colts offense right now, from a pass catching standpoint, it's obviously Michael Pittman number one. This may be bold to say, but I would consider Jonathan Taylor probably the second option. At least he should be. We'll see if that actually happens. The third option, I think, is up for grabs. And I think Alec Pierce, not only from a draft capital standpoint, but a talent standpoint, and if I remember correctly, he's an older wide receiver, or an older wide receiver prospect. I believe he was a senior when he came in, um, maybe a junior, uh, a true junior. I think he's going to have the football and and life experience to be able to learn this playbook quickly, gain trust with a veteran quarterback like like Matt Ryan, and step into a role that they don't have necessarily filled by anyone else on the team. And that's going to allow him to have a very, very high upside, I think, of if everything hits right, this this is definitely bold. It could be as high as a wide receiver, too. Is that likely? Probably not. Wide receiver three, I think that's definitely in the cards. And if you're taking him at wide receiver 66, you're paying nothing for that upside. And I think the talent, the situation, match up perfectly for him to step into that role and rock and roll in this Colts offense. Dave, I'm going to throw this one to you as the Colts fan. What do you think of Alec Pierce and what I just said? I think that what you're saying with Alec Pierce sounds really good towards the latter half of 2022 yeah. and into 2023. The Colts, after drafting him, uh, went on record. I think Chris Ballard made the comment of saying that they, they didn't know who they wanted to take between Alec Pierce and Jelani Woods, um, but they had traded back within that second round to gather more draft capital, knowing that this was there was two players there that they really liked that they really thought that they had a chance to draft relative to who the teams around them were after and where he kind of fell in terms of the the pecking order for rookie wide receivers. I like Alex Pierce, uh, sorry, Alec Pierce uh, from a long-term perspective, what he does in 2022. I mean, you're not, you're not losing. If you're at wide receiver 66, that's a player that's not likely drafted in any standard formats um, for depth of a bench or roster. So he's not going to hurt you to be able to draft and cut or to be able to pick up uh, at some point during the season. Yeah, absolutely. Love. Yeah. I, especially with rookies, we've seen, unless their name is Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson, we've seen 
other players, um, more normal players or even above average players that aren't elite like those two guys take a little bit longer uh, to acclimate to the league, um, which I think is probably where Pierce ends up falling in, is, which is what you just said. And so you could draft him or, or pick him up off the waivers for basically nothing. And if you've got the, the depth available, hold him for that second half breakout that I think, and I think you think is very, very possible. Yeah. Feels right. Awesome. Sweet. Okay. This one uh, was actually a question from Nick script on Twitter and Dave, because you are the only person here that has won Polly's playoff. This question is for you and you only. So what was the biggest factor for your team taking the championship last year and that caused your team to separate from the rest? Yeah, I think I, I hit the a couple of the players that I wanted to draft, like Debo Samuel and Jamar Chase. That's great. I, I had spoken about those a little bit earlier. But the biggest factor for me was waiver wire activity throughout the second half of the year. I didn't invest a lot of draft capital in running backs last year. I think I had Josh Jacobs and David Montgomery as a couple mid players that I had taken with, you know, reasonable draft capital Uh, where I really succeeded was later on in the year in adding and dropping and basically streaming some of these running backs and uh, wide receivers as well too for that matter Um, I even think that Dawson Knox at some point was a player that I added to my roster that I initially didn't have so I mean I I transformed my roster throughout the the year and I would say that for for anyone playing in this event um, by comparison, maybe to a home league or, or especially by comparison to a league of sharps, if you are in the second half of the year, you might be surprised at who's available on waivers. I noticed that in my division last year, there were a few teams that by the you know the second half, they were you know seemingly eliminated from contention. And uh, being the charity event that it is, they didn't have that uh, that drive to finish the season, you know, uh, seven and one, so to speak, to get back in the running. And so I had a, a couple players down the line that I was a bit able to pick up uh, off waivers, and they made a huge difference to me in playoffs. Sweet. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that. I uh, actually guested on Hutchinson Brown's podcast earlier this afternoon, and one of the things that I mentioned for like a league-winning tip was staying active on your waiver wire um, I actually talked about it early in the season, um, and then he kind of brought up also, but also doing it later in the season, kind of like you just said. Um, but like I brought up like going and getting like, so the first year I ever won a championship, I think was 2009, 2010. And I went and got, uh, Chris Johnson off of waivers or like getting a James Robinson or last year an Elijah Mitchell off of waivers, um, it's kind of what I was thinking, but then he brought up like if someone does get injured or anything like that. I'm curious, do you remember any of the players, specifically running backs, that you were able to stream in the latter half of the season? Um, well, this is one I should have probably prepared a bit of an answer for. I can remember a few players that I had added and dropped at the end of the year, like Justin Jackson. I remember yeah, that was a popular one. Dare Agunbowale. Oh, I'm butchering that name. I apologize That's to everybody. Okay. <laughs> um, those were those were some players that I had grabbed at the uh, off waivers at the end of the year. They were in a starting lineup at the end of the year, and my my lineup had holes. Like my second round draft pick was DeAndre Hopkins. My third round Ouch. draft pick was DK Metcalf. And I've already I told you I I didn't invest heavily in running backs. So the, there was a lot of patchwork going on with my roster. Interesting. That's really cool that you were able to win with uh, Hopkins being your second round pick. Um, real quick, what pick slot were you out of last year? I was in the second slot. I drafted Josh Allen at number two okay. overall. He was a league Excellent. winner in every format you can imagine. He was fantastic yeah. in this. Man, you had a squad if you had Allen, Debo, and Chase. <laughs> yeah, I'm it worked out. I think in a lot of weeks, uh, just some of the format points that you, you look at the, the depth of, of reception or the depth of the, the the receiving plays. Those are huge. You mentioned some of the deep play players like Tyree kill, uh, Jamar chase. 
Uh, some of these players that if you were to look at a reception perception profile have a lot of these deep route successes uh, in their arsenal. Uh, those guys are fantastic. I'd say uh, Marquise Brown uh, may be a player yeah, that I'd add to your list. this year. I think that was actually one that I might have had on my roster, if I remember correctly, too. Nice. So, yeah, I like that call. All right, and this one comes from a very good friend of the show uh, and fellow content creator, Mr. Jorge Martin. Does Trevor Lawrence have the environment and the skill players around him to take a year two leap that could vault him into the top 10 QBs? Dave, I'm going to let you go first. I think we have a similar answer, but I want to hear yours first. Yeah, if I look at this from a dynasty perspective, Trevor Lawrence has all the abilities you could ask for to get to that top 10, uh, at least in terms of value. Uh, A top 10 performance this year, no. Uh, He's not going to hit top 10. You have a team in transition. You have a new coach. You have new wide receivers that are brought in. You have a running back uh, in Travis Etienne who has played zero snaps in the NFL, coming back from an injury. You have James Robinson, who we got good news about this morning that he's not going to be on the pup list. He's going to be able to participate um, in camp. Th- these are good things, but this che- this team is completely, completely starting fresh or starting from scratch, and they were just wounded week after week by Urban Meyer last year. So I don't I don't expect that from Trevor Lawrence this year, but eventually, man, he can do that for sure. Yeah, I, I I love the way that you put it, and it's funny because we have the same answer but different wording probably. Um, so I just kind of went to like through the the parts of the question, but before I, I jump into my answer, like dynasty value, I, you nailed it. I, top ten dynasty value, absolutely. I still think he's there. Um, he got thrown into one of the worst coaching situations I've ever seen. And we've seen coaching decisions absolutely ruin quarterbacks. We've seen horrible offensive lines ruin quarterbacks. And I don't remember exactly where Jacksonville's offensive line ranked last year, but I know they weren't great. Um, They weren't elite. And so it's, it's truly a miracle that... Trevor Lawrence is even still standing in some way, shape, or form, I think. But ultimately, I think like he survived. We still saw some of the plays that we know he's capable of making last year in in different flashes, showing that the talent is still there. The situation just sucked. And so I absolutely love what you said. Top 10 this year, I don't think so. I don't think it's it's possible. But top 10 eventually and in Dynasty, absolutely. So to kind of fully formulate my answer, though, does Trevor Lawrence have the environment? I think he does now. If it's It, it may be in the foundation stages of, of truly building it, but I think it's there, especially compared to where it was last year. Does he have the skill players around him? I don't think so. Like you said, Travis Etienne hasn't taken a snap yet. James Robinson's coming back off a significant injury. Luckily, isn't going on the pup list. And then we've talked about it throughout the episode. His best wide receivers right now are Christian Kirk and Marvin Jones. Neither of those, to me, is a household um, name that you want as your wide receiver one. And I don't think that leads to the ultimate end of the question is, could he vault into the top ten QBs in year two? I don't think so, but I do think he takes a year two leap. Yeah, I like the point with the year two leap. He gets better this year. He doesn't get worse. Yeah, I, I don't think he can get worse. If he gets worse, then a lot of people were wrong on Trevor Lawrence, myself included. Yeah, I, when you watched him play in college, the, nobody's wrong. He is talented. He is just as capable as you want him to be from that draft position where he was taken. He's that guy. Yeah. You just get, like, you could not have, there's very few people that I think you could have given him that would have been a worse year one coach. Yeah. So, there's literally, I think, a special place in coaching purgatory hell for (laughs) Urban Meyer, Adam Gase, Freddie Kitchens, and uh, 
Jason Garrett. Like, they're just horrible. They just waste people's career. So, all right. Well, that wraps up round number two. We're going to jump into round number three pretty quickly um, and then wrap up the episode. So, Dave, uh, oh, and Eric has had some connection issues because he is at the beach. So, it's just going to be me and Dave to wrap up the episode. So, Dave, who do you think wins this division? I think you got to look at Indianapolis winning the AFC South this year. Uh, they've gotten better in the offseason, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Um, I got them somewhere between uh, a low and a high end for wins here, somewhere between 8 and 12. I don't think they dominate the division. Uh, their schedule is pretty tough, if you want to look at that as a, a factor. These AFC South teams, they play some tough divisions, so this is not going to be easy for them. But uh, i got to say Indy wins the division. Yeah, I agree. Um, Jacksonville, like we just talked about, isn't there yet. And Houston, I think, will shock some people in games, but I think ultimately in the long term of the season, they I don't see them winning the division. Yeah, and the more that Houston wins, I think the less that they win as a franchise. That trade that they made for Deshaun Watson and the return that they got in draft capital, you've got to think that this is uh, essentially a full-blown rebuild yeah. that you're capable of doing. Like You're going to have a number of cornerstone franchise-level players come from these future draft picks, and one of the most controllable aspects for them is, is how unsuccessful are you this year, and can you be just bad enough to land one of two very good quarterbacks next year in the draft, for example. Um, yeah, absolutely. That's a great transition. Tennessee is like, good. No, I was just going to say, like, the 2023 draft in general is just absolutely loaded. It feels like it a lot of positions, but definitely on the offensive side. So the positions where I think they could probably improve the most from this year to next year as long as Davis Mills doesn't like blow the the world light the world on fire, would be QB and RB. Like those, I think, are well. Running back is one of the deeper positions in this upcoming draft, and I know that's where they need help on offense. And then wide receiver, like they've got Cooks, they've got Nico Collins. Hopefully, Mechie comes back from this leukemia diagnosis eventually. They're look. They're sitting like I feel like they're close. But like you said, they need to be on the bad side of close and not on the good side of close to where they like sneak into the playoffs on accident. So like you said, they can capitalize on that draft capital. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The other kind of team we didn't really talk about there is Tennessee. Uh, I think Tennessee comes very close to that 8-9, uh, and 9-8 and eight, uh, mark this year. They're a good football team across the board. They can beat you in a number of ways. They're coached well. They can control the ball by running it. Uh, they've got a smart quarterback, and uh, you know their defense is—it's—it's it's not great, but it's good enough uh, to win games, especially in this division. They're—they're going to beat Jacksonville and Houston. Um, those two teams can't stop them uh, on defense, especially from running the ball. Yeah, hundred percent agree. <clears throat> All right, Dave. Well, that kind of wraps up this episode of uh, Fantasy Nightcap. Before we go, where can people find you on Twitter? And if there's anything you want to plug, now is your time. All right. So on Twitter, you can get me at 87 underscore carry. Uh, if you want to cruise on over to our website, it is fantasymarksman.com. Uh, generally speaking, interactions are easiest, fastest, and best on Twitter. And uh, if you want to talk about any other sports other than football, uh, I would sure love to hear about uh, some of our listeners' interests in hockey and baseball. Nice. Very cool. Yeah, man, thanks for coming on. Thanks for uh, for participating in Polly's and, and winning last year, and, and thanks for participating again this year. I will uh, hopefully challenge you so that we don't have a repeat champ. Um going into year three but the, I, I really appreciate you and your time so thanks for coming on yeah i really appreciate you having me on shane it was good to chat with you and eric this evening and look forward to the next season and hoping to see some more success in terms of money raised for a great cause yeah absolutely thanks man
Thank you. All right. Well, that wraps up this episode of Fantasy Nightcap. Make sure you guys follow us on Twitter at Fantasy Nightcap and at FFShaneB. There is still time to register for Polly's Playoff. Registration is going to close Friday. I am trying to get to 240 participants, so tell your friends. Um, and they can register on the pinned link or pinned tweet on my profile on Twitter. Again, at FFShaneB. And this is the Fantasy Nightcap, where we serve you fantasy advice straight. Ooh, Chaser. Cheers. <laughs>